0: Welcome to Culture Dumps. I'm Ryan Licton, and I'm here with Parks Miller. It's uh it's been a minute since we've we've dumped together.
1: It has. It has um When was it?
0: When was it? <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> um I don't, I don't even know. I I get, dude, I mean everything's been such like whirlwind like heat and flash with doing all this like podcast 99 shit like cuz yeah, I, I, I yeah. didn't we didn't have any plans to keep really doing that and then all of a sudden like we have like 10 interviews coming at us you know so that's why dumps has kind of slowed down a bit but uh we're back into it now we- yeah we- i mean you know hey it's two channels right yeah you know it's it's all us yeah so yeah you know and our pa- our like, patreon hasn't stopped either we're, we're, we're still like podcast
1: 99 you should be into culture dumps and vice versa
0: Yeah, because like we've always said, Woodstock 99 is the ultimate culture dump, which is why it has its own show. Um, So there's plenty of content for you little piggies. Yeah, (laughs) you dumpers out there. Yeah, um, (laughs) and also, again, our Patreon, we haven't slowed down on that. We're consistently putting stuff out so patreon.com slash culture dumps for like i counted yeah. uh, our side series squirts we have over 30 of those just that series alone mm-hmm. and then there's a couple dozen docu dumps there's woodstock 99 set commentaries there's all kinds of stuff there's so yeah there's a lot of stuff there it's
1: never too late to subscribe because then you will be getting all that shit tons of binge worthy content I'm gonna bring back WDUMP. I got I've been sitting on a, a nice playlist for a minute. Just need the uh just need a little time to record some shit, but it's coming. Yeah. It's coming. It's
0: a good one. Yeah. It's straight from the butt. Yeah. <laughs> I
1: gotta tell you that.
0: Straight, straight from the butt. <laughs> straight from the bowl. Yeah. All right. Well, today, uh this is a great dump because it this is like the kind of topic that made us wanna do culture dumps in general like this is such like there's such good stuff here and very very sad stuff too um we're talking about herve Villechaize, who if you don't know like right off the bat he was the little person from uh fantasy island and 007 the man with the golden gun and uh a bunch of other like cameos here and there but fantasy island the plane the plane it's that guy yeah <laughs> you know? he's
1: I will say I was telling someone about this uh, right before we recorded, and they're like, I don't really know who that is. But you look at the picture, you look at the picture, and you're like, oh, I've definitely, you know, yeah. very distinguishable face. You've definitely seen him. Uh, this, this to me, harkens back to that kind of, uh, like, the VH1, I love the 70s, you know, oh, which totally. we both talked about how much we love. We loved all those vh one um, An E, like, culture, pop culture shows.
0: Right. And, I mean, I first thought of this in, like, dump terms because there was a movie out on HBO called My Dinner with Hervé, and it stars Peter Dinklage uh, as mm-hmm. Hervé Villachez. And it's about, well, I'll tell you what it's about later when we get to it, but also cannot recommend enough, and it's on YouTube, the E! True Hollywood story on Hervé Villachez. Like, that is... Right. That is Honestly, like how with behind the music, like Milli Vanilli and like Motley Crue are like the standout ones. Like, this is that for E! True Hollywood Story. E! True Hollywood Story, behind the music,
1: these VH1 Most Shocking. Uh, This was this felt like an era of just like, ooh, like what's kind of interesting, a little salacious, a little exploitative. A uh, little myth building, you know, like Ozzy bit the head off the bat. You know, you hear that story five right. million times. Irve Velez
0: uh, fucked six chicks in a night. You know. Yeah, <laughs> he's
1: a, that's that's how I know him. So I, just through this, I kind of got to, you know, that's what we do. We get in, learn a little bit more about the. The, the artist's soul
0: yeah and I mean like, like you said like those VH1 things and like E! True Hollywood story and stuff it is you know there is an exploitative nature to them because like you're only watching because you know that it goes bad and that's kind of the story of this guy's entire life uh, is, yeah. is just being exploited. Like His stature was such a subject of fascination for the general public that it helped fuel his success, but in turn fueled these demons that he had. But sure. we're going to get there. So why is Hervé Villachez a dump? Well, he's a dump because in his heyday, he was the most recognizable celebrity on television. His reputation as a wild party boy is the only thing that preceded his reputation for his appearance. The public's fascination with Villalobos exposed the deep-rooted ableism in show business as well as in society at large. Herve's life story is a sad reminder that, despite everything Hollywood can give, it will always take more. That's mm. that. That's Ooh. the yeah. That's the main anchor point here because, mm. against all odds, I mean, this guy became a major star, and every chance he got, he fucked it up. You know, and it has Ooh, right, a lot right. to do with the public perception of him and how that weighed on his on his you know feelings and all that. But yeah. again, it, it's kind yeah. He's a legend. It's very, it's, he is a legend, and it it is also
1: kind of the way in which mo you know for the most part, you know, there's not a lot of little people that are like sure. in Hollywood business, and then it has like a very you have a very pigeonholed role and just in general i'm sure there's just a lot you know that you're dealing in your day-to-day life that yeah a lot well, of other people don't have to but then there's kind of yeah there's totally sort of that fascination slash exploitation sort of almost the freak show at to use that in a genre of circus right not in who, who they are but just in that like oh like this kind of fascination with it i mean it's also very similar to vern troyer mini me i sure. mean i mean name, know,
0: like- name name little people that are famous you know what i mean it, it's it's tough and the the, the interesting thing about Hervé villachez is while that obviously was like the first thing you would notice about him and like the thing that everyone talked about especially when it came to his personal life um his characters that he was known for they didn't necessarily harp on the fact that he was a little person. I mean, especially with Fantasy Island. Like, he could have been an average-sized person and still played an an interesting sidekick like that. And, like, that's kind of what sets him apart. Because before him, you know, you had, like, the Munchkins from Wizard of Oz. And Mm -hmm. you had... uh, There was a a couple others, but generally they were in costumes playing monsters. They were... You know, you had someone like Gary Coleman who's playing someone much, much younger than himself. You know, same with Emmanuel Mm -hmm. Lewis. Um, yeah. You know, using their height to portray a, a child or whatever, whereas Hervey was playing these characters that in a lot of ways were created for him. Um, You know, I mean, mm-hmm. Her- Hervé Villachez in Man with the Golden Gun as Knickknack, And again, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but he could have easily just been like Odd Job, like the other henchman from that other James Bond movie, where he's mm-hmm. just like an average height guy in a tuxedo, you know, and it wouldn't have changed you know, it. Yeah. But it makes have- it more interesting for sure he had a lot of
1: personality but ultimately yes his his height does kind of just visually play into it he's you know kind of this the side the 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 short sidekick to or the short the henchman sidekick you yeah know? um
0: henchman so, yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: yeah uh also i just want to say since we already brought up the e true hollywood story uh at the top uh and talk about the amount of short jokes that they throw in there not even as jokes but as just <laughs> in just in kind of moving the plot forward uh is yeah. unreal like he, every he was still a dwarf
0: came. yeah it's like it's like they yeah, have to keep like reminding his opportunities
1: you. were dwarfed and like just using <laughs> were and it like has nothing to do with his height his finances
0: just, came up short yeah it's just
1: like yeah oh, exactly shit like that. Yeah. and it's just this, that little pause and like that is a such of a time a what pause a little, a pause. little pause. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know it, exactly. It's such of the time of yeah, like ha ha ha. We're gonna get a couple more digs in, Dude. even while we're talking about his life.
0: Yeah, like which is so tragic. So I guess
1: we'll try to not do that, huh? <laughs>
0: Right, I mean, I I didn't write any of that stuff in. I I figured uh, that's what the riff breaks are for. So, (laughs) anyways, bonjour, bitches, we're going to France. So, Hervé Villachez was born on April 23rd, 1943 in Paris, France, to Evelyn Reccioni and André Villachez. Hervé came into this world right in the thick of the biggest war the world has ever known. His father, an accomplished surgeon, was considered a hero of the French Resistance. It was the intensely dangerous conditions of his mother's surroundings that Hervé would later blame for his condition. Now, if you watch the... I mean, they, they discuss this in the Eat True Hollywood story and, I mean, any article that you read about him. we read I read a whole ton. But in the film, My Dinner with Hervé, they, they really show this where basically, like, his mom's pregnant. Paris is getting fucking shelled from above. You know, the Nazis are blowing everything up around her. And, like, wouldn't you know it? water breaks kind of thing. And like, that's Mm -hmm. how they portrayed it in the film. I don't know if that's that accurate, but what I do know is that he was born during Nazi occupation of France. And he claims that his mother suffered an injury while she was pregnant, which in turn led to his, in his, his mind, a deformity, you know, his, his birth defect, his dwarfism. Um, So, yeah, but also that's just so fucking crazy. I mean, like to be pregnant, fucking being pregnant, first of all, seems like it sucks no matter what, like even if it's like super cushy, but being pregnant during World War Two during a bombing sounds even worse. So, I mean, to us freaking rotten
1: millennials, just the concept of World (laughs) War (laughs) Two. I mean, just what the fuck? I mean, that just sounds bonkers.
0: Yeah, it's fucked. (laughs) So Herve World was War II. Yeah, World War II, man. Should, is that a dump? Uh, so Herve, Herve was the fourth <laughs> of four sons, yet he was the only one of Evelyn and Andre's children who was born with proportionate dwarfism. The specific type of dwarfism Herve was born with is attributed to a thyroid disorder. While on the outside, Herve's features were evenly distributed, his internal organs were the size of an average height person's, and this affliction would plague him for his entire life life like it, it's it's really crazy to imagine that you're continuously growing on the inside like that's terrifying
1: it sounds like a horror movie
0: like you're you know because when he was a child you know he had the child side like he didn't notice that it was going to be a problem until he stops growing you know after after he hits puberty that but everything else is expanding inside of him for the rest of his life it's absolutely right. terrifying and sounds incredibly painful. Now, his parents were split over how to accept their new child. While Evelyn grew cold and distant from the child who she felt was damaged, his father doted over him. And though he loved Hervé deeply, he was willing to do whatever it took to make his son what he considered to be, quote-unquote, normal. And this is something that is really easy to misconstrued because... Uh, or misconstrue because uh, you know, to put your son through all the things that we're about to discuss. It's, it seems selfish and it's like, I don't want a son that's, that's deformed. I don't want a dwarf son. And that's kind of how his mother felt. Even though hervey says she wasn't actually like mean to him or abusive. She just didn't know how to like be around him without feeling sad, you know, but she did love him. But his dad, he was like, I don't want to change you because I'm ashamed of you. I want to fix you quote unquote, like, so your life is easier because I care about you. And, you know, it's tough. And also, again, the 19 fucking 40s, dude, like, you're the only job you can get is like in vaudeville if you're a little person actually yeah think, speaking of world war ii there was a traveling there's a documentary about this i watched a long time ago but there was a traveling dwarf family of entertainers that actually got put into a concentration camp and uh they were at the one i think it's auschwitz where i don't want to miss i don't want mis- <laughs> to get that wrong but it's where dr mengele was and he had a fascination with dwarfs, but because they could sing and dance like he never he spared them all and like they pretty much survived <laughs> being an concentration camp all like 12 of these dwarfs because they could sing and dance and stuff like it's fucking crazy but uh anyway wow they they yeah they saved their asses yeah literally saved their lives by 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 being song and dance by song and dance and being tiny yeah now the majority of herve's childhood was spent in and out of hospitals throughout europe as well as the united states His father spent countless hours consulting with other surgeons about ways to potentially fix his son. What these meetings resulted in was a series of surgeries that were not only incredibly brutal and painful, but also entirely ineffective. The final attempt at curing Hervey of his dwarfism was a risky thyroid gland treatment he underwent on August 13, 1955 in Rochester, Minnesota. The treatment failed and his parents finally accepted that they could not change their son. Uh, I looked into some of these experimental surgeries, which also, by the way, a lot were taken because he would go to Germany and stuff. And a lot of these were taken from concentration camps where doctors were just giving free reign to experiment on humans however they pleased. So if they did come across a dwarf, you know, with the exception of this entertainment family, it was like, hey, let's see if we can make them tall by fucking giving them bone splints and all kinds of crazy fucked up shit. Just and, doing things that were not
1: going to work, but just kind of. But
0: it's all they what had.
1: They f- wh- what they felt like, and maybe they were on a lot of meth or something. Yeah, Nazi speed. experiments. Yeah. So that's yeah. just yeah, that's wild. Also, I will say, it's interesting because at the same time, you are, you know, you can always look back on it, and and we've had history. We've we've had we've had, we've had sorry, we've had like a progression of you know medicine and like that's that's gotten better and better throughout the years uh and we wouldn't be where we are now without the past but sometimes when you look at some of the things that people try to do you're just like and they think is a cure you're like oh no this is not gonna turn out well this isn't gonna fucking work yeah i don't think you i don't think there is a cure for dwarfism no
0: <laughs> no of course and so not So it's like
1: so just like let's yeah
0: it's, yeah, it's messy, but they, it doesn't mean that they didn't try. Uh, one of the th- procedures he had done, they um, removed bone marrow, I believe, from his legs and shot it into his spine via spinal tap uh, just to see if they could, like, <laughs> I don't know, give him more bone juice to make his bones grow. Uh, they put splints <laughs> in his legs like that would a, a attempt to, you know, do oh, like bone stretching. Uh, they would also break his bones and reset them in hopes that they would grow oh normal. Um, and it, and it, again, it seems As really good. As a kid, yeah, this was how he kid. spent his like, like up until like age thirteen, you know, or like twelve, um, he was constantly going going through shit like that. Um, but in in a way, yeah, it's it's really fucked up. But it's also his father showing his love because it didn't come from a place of wanting a normal son. It came from a place of wanting his son to have a normal life. Uh, and there's sure. a bi- there's well, a big difference there. Yeah,
1: yeah. Though I mean, and again, it's I think maybe his intentions were good, but. At what cost? You know, all, all, yeah, at what cost, subjecting your son to experimental treatment. I mean, I would say it, probably, it does sound like it would be a very tough position. Um, and maybe knowing what we know now, you know, it's like, okay, this isn't going to work. Right. Uh, but I mean, experimental treatment always just seems pretty wild to me.
0: You know, but of I course. guess well, and, every and, once in a while it works. Also, dude, back in like the nineteen forties, nineteen fifties, a lot of shit was experimental. <laughs> you know, like it yes. was like the. You know, they just started using, like, anesthetic, like, maybe, like, you know, like, real anesthetic, maybe, like, 20 or 30 years before, you know. Before that, it was just like, here, drink this. Um, But also, for his dad to be a surgeon and knowing, like, how intrusive these operations were, like, that's also kind of fucked up to be willing to, you know, subject your kid to that. When, for all intents and purposes, he was healthy. He just was a dwarf, you know. Um, Also, interesting note, we keep saying dwarf because he has dwarfism, but Herve, throughout his life, preferred to be called a midget. But we will not use that Mm. word. Parks Miller
1: here. Uh, We had a small tech issue with Ryan's microphone. It recorded a bit funny. So for about the next three minutes, it's going to sound a bit low fidelity on Ryan's end. Uh, You can just imagine that he stepped outside to smoke a quick cig while dishing out his Herve facts. Uh, We try very hard to keep the quality standards high and just want to acknowledge whenever there is a little screw up. Uh, I am, however, going to use this time to remind y'all to please give us five stars on iTunes or any other uh, podcast platform that you're listening. Uh, The more ratings we get, the more visibility that our podcast gets. So we would really appreciate it. Um, But now here is Ryan back with more Hervé.
0: It's rough, but I think Hervé's whole psychology behind that was like, he was a dwarf and like he had been hearing that ever. So like, don't call me that. I'd rather you call me this than that, because that brings up too many painful memories um, and, and makes me, you know, kind of reflect on myself. But that's just speculation. So when he wasn't recovering from being a literal fucking science experiment, Hervey tried to make friends. But his peers, as well as just about everyone he encountered, were cruel to the young future superstar. It was not infrequent that Hervey would be beaten by strangers on site for his appearance. Hervey became depressed and isolated. But he did manage to find an outlet that would lead him to great success. Uh, he would, like... There's so many stories he had about just walking down the street and someone would just kick him in the head. Or like someone would just like fucking throw a rock at him and like you know knock him out onto the street and he'd just be unconscious while like all the then kids would come up and start kicking him. And it was su- such a uh. regular occurrence that he began carrying a knife with him and he actually fucking cut a few people like when he was like a teenager in in France um and that became something he would do for the rest of his life. And eventually that would, you know, e- evolve into a larger fascination with weapons. But that's not yet. So while Herve's lasting, Herve's lasting, I want to call him Herve like I know him though. While Herve's lasting legacy is his acting, he could have easily been just as revered as a painter. Herbe found solace in painting. He produced hundreds of pieces of art during his lifetime and was such a prodigy that he was accepted into the prestigious National School of Fine Arts. That's the English translation, uh, and that's in France. At the age of just 16. So at 16, it's like, no more regular school for you. You're too good at painting. We got to put you in the top art school in Paris, making it the top you know one of the top art schools in the world and just two years later herve stunned the art world by becoming the youngest artist to have work displayed at the musée de paris crazy show. yeah
1: that's so wild yeah. yeah
0: yeah and i mean again he's he's a little person and w- like it's interesting about his painting because that wasn't something that a lot of people knew about him what the first thing you would hear was the youngest person to be in the museum and then you'd see him and you're like whoa that adds a whole another another element to, right. to this whole thing
1: did you uh did you take a peek at some of his his paintings
0: yeah he's insane dude he's insane yeah, he painted his whole good. life and because he was going through all like basically his dad would get him art supplies while he was healing from all of these surgeries and because he was going through all these all this tremendous pain he was obsessed with death and there's so many paintings he had where he would like use his real blood or it's like fucking grim reapers and skeletons or like a self-portrait that then he would take a knife and carve his face all up and like just i mean dark dark shit to for like a kid to be painting
1: and uh has he started drinking at this point because doesn't he kind of do your sort of classic Tortured artists like get shit faced and like well, make these big kind of scenes and then like use that
0: as, as kind of inspiration for the paintings. He was drinking, but not like in excess. I mean, he's you know, he's a, he's a Frenchman, and uh, yeah. so again, I mean, he's he's has a lifelong obsession with wine, but it was just a thing. But once he starts going to the school of fine arts and he gets put in the museum, like he becomes a little bit of a local celebrity, especially in the art world, and like. Now he's starting to get girls, like, whether it's for the novelty or not. And that's one thing about Herve is like he knew that sometimes he was kind of like a bucket list kind of a thing for, for chicks. Mm-hmm. But he's just like, fuck it. I don't give a shit. <laughs> like like, okay. Like like what one of the uh, in the E Hollywood story, one of his co-stars said, you know, if he had to play cute, like cute little person to get in bed, he's gonna be cute little person. But then once he's in there, it's uh now he's hervey <laughs> you
1: know yeah yeah that's definitely going to be a big his his love of women is definitely a notable part of this story
0: yeah and and, and that's uh, that's what starts it starts with the art world thing and, and him getting you know all it's these the, great it's reviews the french
1: it's the frenchman you know
0: yeah yeah you, the french you, in him exactly and that's another thing if you look at hervey Velazquez, like it's it surprises a lot of people to find out that he's just fucking french you know he, he's not asian like and a lot of people say that actually when peter dinklage played him in the film people were calling him out for you know oh you're whitewashing this character and he's like you're being politically wrong because he was from france and born to french people <laughs> like it was just the oh, way his I face yeah it was that. just the way his face looked so like maybe do I your hope, fucking yeah. homework yeah um But anyways, but yeah, he's becoming somewhat of an art world celebrity. He's starting to sell some paintings. uh, But though he, you know, receiving, he was receiving all these accolades from the high art world, he was also gaining notoriety in the underground art world, where he would have, like, a beautiful landscape or something being shown in museums and galleries, like, folks in the know knew that he had all this darker shit and he was well known, but he was unable to make a decent living from his paintings alone. So Herve often illustrated book covers and restaurant menus for quick cash. This is going to be a major running theme throughout this whole thing where Herve gets some level of success that, that would have seemed unattainable to him, but it's never enough. Like, like whether it be just because, you know he's not selling enough paintings, or because his lifestyle is exceeding what he's what he's raking in. Um, either way, this is a, a major common thread throughout this whole thing, where it's never going to be enough, no matter how famous and popular he is. That's like the yeah. big, yeah. I mean, tragic part. Yeah. And you,
1: yeah, and maybe you could, you know, maybe you could say it seemed like just a really rough childhood. So he kind of, when he found his thing, he just. Making up for, not for lost time, but just like, no, fuck this. I'm going to, in a way, like, I'm not going to let this, my height, you know, stop me from doing everything I can.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Now, I know I want to do impressions of him so bad, but it's kind of hard. It was through his art that he found a community that finally accepted him. The flourishing Parisian art scene is also where Hervé was introduced to what would become a lifelong obsession. Banging chicks. So, like, the way... And, I mean, we're going to keep harping on this fucking him getting laid so much thing because that was such... I mean, A, the way that the tabloids handled the story of Herve always involves that. And it's kind of a... They're coming at it from a fucked up way because they just couldn't believe that this little person was, you know, getting laid so much. And, uh, you know, the people that would like the people he'd have relationships with, they would be subject to all this tabloid shit too, because it's like, what's her deal being with him. And then also it's like, check out fucking mm. Herve. But it's all like, again, this ableism kind of fucking, you know, like you, like we have to know more about this because it disgusts us. And, and it, it was really cruel. But in the film, my dinner with Herve, uh, where, by the way, you see Peter Dinklage's wiener. His dink... P- Dinklage's dink. Peter's dink. Yeah, P- yeah, yeah, his dinklage. And uh, it's actually mm. fucking, like, they make it seem... And I don't know how accurate it is, but, like, apparently, Herve's brother was a consultant on that, and he, like, hung out with Peter Dinklage a lot and told him a lot of the stories. But he was having, like, three ways, and he was, you know, like, a different chick every day, walking down the street, holding hands with, like, multiple girls at once, like, getting kisses all over the place. And, again like a lot of the time, according to him and, and people that knew him, sometimes uh, it would be, you know, out of a novelty or, or kind of like a, Oh, this is this will be different kind of a thing. And he was, yeah. he didn't care. Like, he's just like, whatever. Like, okay. Like jokes I mean, on you, I guess on the still, from, still bang, you know, still hit from the
1: E true Hollywood story. It also really, they were very, they made that, Point and I mean, there's a lot of like people, yeah. you know, testimony, of people's stories about it. I mean, you know, there is, you know, the the kind of the tabloid pictures of him, the people he dated. So I do, I mean, I do believe he, you know, he had a lot of ladies. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that that I think that that uh, I don't know. I also think that it's kind of you can't ignore it. You no, know I mean? it's no,
0: a, I I know. Um, yeah, you you can't ignore uh, it, but it's it's also but, like he's no, more no, there complex. was definitely
1: yeah, there was definitely going to be some easy jabs, you know, like anytime there's like a, a joke about it. Uh, and I mean, maybe part of it is just like, it's something maybe you, you're you just wondering cause you just can't understand or something. So you're like, how, how is this happening? I mean, yeah, that, I guess that's part of it is almost like a, yeah, a morbid fascination.
0: I think also to like, you know, someone like, and again, it's, I don't want to just, like, single out Peter Dinklage, but, like, you know, he played the guy in a fucking movie, and he is the only A-list little person uh, pretty much besides Irve and Vern Troyer, you know, ever. But the thing is, it's, like, if Peter Dinklage started dating, like, a model, I don't think it would have the, like, it would give the tabloids the same reaction because Peter Dinklage is a very well-spoken, like, kind of chill dude that's, like, funny and, like... Like it's always it's never really addressed a lot of the time like in a lot of characters that he plays that that he's a little person whereas with Irve, Irve was like a wild motherfucker you know what I mean I, that I, you know, that, was I was that, that was that say... was dancing and out clubbing and doing drugs and getting fucking shit faced and like carrying guns on him like he was nuts yeah. <laughs> you know he was a fucking animal yeah
1: it was also yeah we should also say that you know his wild excesses are often his undoing, and I mean Vern yeah. Troyer too. Unfortunately, you know, Vern Troyer was a pretty disturbed individual, and you know he had his substance problems, and you know neither of them are with us anymore. And so that that's going to play into it. I mean, like he he also was the cause of his own undoing, and maybe that you know that excess and that partying yeah. came from whatever hurt he experienced as a child, being a dwarf, you know having dwarfism, but ultimately yeah i mean the dude was
0: also we're gonna find out i mean he He likes to party. Yeah. A lot. Yes, yes, he does. I would have fucking loved to rage at this dude. So after a couple more years of being a wild, bohemian, artistic badass, Herve moved to New York in 1964. He was just 21 years old. And this was at his father's insistence. His dad kind of recognized, like, hey, yes, you're doing okay in the art world here, but you could do a lot better in New York because you're not going to stand out so much. Like his dad's quote was like, that's where the freaks go. Like, and I guess using it endearingly, like not freaks is in because you're a dwarf, but freaks is in like crazy artists and people that are into like this avant-garde lifestyle. And like, you know, it, it'll be better for you to go where there's more people of, di- you know, from different lifestyles. You won't be so singled out. And, you know, New York also had a vibrant art scene that was world renowned. It was, you know, more accepting of people generally, and uh, one of the crazy things is that he didn't speak any English when he got to the states. He would just ho- like hole up in his apartment and watch westerns, and like, w- like would just learn how to speak English like watching like John Wayne and like fucking people like that, like the Lone Ranger and stuff. And like that's kind of how he developed this like kind of rough macho fucking fuck you kind of like attitude because yeah. like that's that's a, how he knew how such to talk. A
1: weird voice he does got a really he does distinctive. Very distinctive voice. I think it comes so. from
0: like drinking so much, smoking so much, and probably like being like, yeah, like a lot. You know, like I feel like he was a big like <laughs> woo kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but who knows? So while in New York, Herve enrolled at the Art Student League and quickly earned a reputation that rivaled the one he had in France. His fellow artists could not resist the eccentric, small statured Frenchman who was not only a talented painter, but also a blossoming photographer. A photographer that had no shortage of willing models. And according to Herve, yeah, women love to pose for him, and of course that would lead to banging, and it's like well have some wine, we'll smoke a little grass, and then you know, now we're having sex. And also this is like
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is mine's <Ryan's laughs> living out as Herve fantasy. Oh, right and dude yeah, cosplaying.
0: If, uh, yeah if reincarnation is real i want to be Hervey in 1968 yeah like yeah. like right before everything but uh like you know this is r- like right in between the beatnik movement and like pre-warhol factory era for art so there's a lot of like groovy stuff happening in like s- like free love and all this hippie stuff is starting to come into it but new york uh, as opposed to california at that time like it had like a kind of more serious artistic angle. Whereas like the California free love movement and the groovy stuff was about getting out into the streets and like being with yeah, hippie stuff. Whereas like in New York, it it was a little more uh, artistic, a little more intellectual, Um, but it was still, you know, naked chicks wanting to be photographed, you know, like, okay, let's paint your body and now we'll put some weird projections on you and we'll take a picture. And like, they're
1: still taking acid too. And yeah, acid and And weed and
0: like doing speed. I can imagine. Yeah. I I could imagine
1: honestly like that would be you've just you're around a bunch of bohemians who are experimenting with LSD for the first time, like that could be a pretty nice place for someone who's three foot eleven to just like pop in and like not necessarily (laughs) be treated "Ah!" with, well, or just be like, whoa, cool, man, like as opposed to like getting your ass beat or
0: your head kicked in. You know what I mean? I'm sure there's so many times like in those days where Hervey was with like some beautiful naked chick, like big old like '60s bush, not to get uh, too vulgar, and like she's uh, she's, she's like she's like tripping on acid and like feeling his hand. She's like, God your hands. They're so perfect. He's like, I know, right? It's crazy. Uh, So anyways, like, and then just like put on the moves. But again, it's like, you know, it's during this artistic time of like well, let's, like, what's, like, the, the craziest, most far-out thing we could do? It's, like, well, let's smoke some grass, and, like, maybe we'll drop a little acid, and, like, we'll take our clothes off, and we'll take some artful nudes. But now we'll put body paint splashed all over you. Well, what can we do to level it up? I don't know. Let's bring in a dwarf to take the pictures. It's, like, what? Like, holy fuck. Like, now we're really doing some artsy shit. You know, it's, like, once you threw Hervey yeah. in the mix. And uh, he, he started gaining this really, like, you know, he was a really popular dude. Had this great reputation. Now, in the late 1960s, Hervé had met and soon after married a young artist named Anne Sadowski. And though Hervé was a true romantic and deeply loved his wife, he also had a severe wandering eye that led him into a slew of affairs. That's the thing with Hervé. He is desperate for love but he he's so desperate for love that even when he has something true and like marries someone it's about the validation from other people the more people accept him especially on like a physical level with like having sex the more normal he feels you know the less he's reminded of his stature is, is kind of what what what's going on with this and, and it leads to an addiction yeah. because it's like i don't want to pass up this moment that i could have this thing because like like, I, like, I'm not supposed to have this, you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. who am I to pass up all these chicks that want to beg me for whatever reason, you know, uh, even though yeah, I'm he's, married. It's,
1: it is really interesting to see how, how, yeah, just how his height really, how that affected him in so many negative ways, how he was able to overcome it, how he was able to utilize it and, so, you know, how that helped. Propel him to be famous or maybe because of that he was like no I have to prove myself how other people exploited him and I mean and really like and what this all you know as we'll get to it's leading up to you know it's like Hollywood's kind of obviously we talked about the acting so it's kind of in some ways you wonder you know, maybe if he didn't ever end up in Hollywood, but also it feels like this is an inevitable place for someone who's kind of on the rise. It's like, you know, like a cool Parisian art scene. Now it's New York city. Like he's kind of on the rise, but at the same time, I feel like he's just he's just like strengthening these like destructive behaviors all along the way
0: right yeah and it's yeah and I mean I think you're totally right and also it's interesting because like now I mean well now he's married so like now the stakes are higher but like before he was yeah. married it's like you know there's there's sex and all that stuff but it's fueled by like this underground art scene and like the art world that he's in Once, like yeah like you said like once he develops his taste for this excess in in life and now you make this guy fucking super famous and you give him a lot yeah. of money it's a recipe for disaster yeah
1: And actually, I want to say, because I might have, like, implied in some way that, you know, just being an artsy person taking acid means you're more accepting of someone who's different than you. No, 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 no. It's not that. I'm just saying, like, the reaction might not have been that, like, you're going to get your head kicked in. I feel like a big part of this is also people who have this money or power or sex appeal and stuff like to them it the the novelty or the exploitation can go in a different way instead of bullying it can also be like let's have this little guy with us because then that make what does that say about our crew if we are partying with the three foot tall guy like that means we must be inherently cool or different or weird so so just his presence i can also see how like that can be a situation of just getting offered a lot of like free alcohol or just like, come party with us, Hervey, you know?
0: Yeah. It, it's about, um, being the most interesting, you know, <laughs> is kind of what, what, what's happening there. It's like, well, it's not like I'm going to kick you in the head. It's like, it's like a token, you know, uh, essentially, yes, but the, like a, a very yeah, artsy token. token.
1: Yes, exactly. The token three foot 11 guy.
0: Yeah. Fuck. Uh, you know, which again, he wasn't having a bad time with that at this point in his life. Um, And things are about to get even crazier. So, Herve was sought out by a playwright who heard about an eccentric dwarf who was just the kind of person he was looking for. Herve was cast in the play Gloria and Esperanza. Much like his art, his theater career was also not cutting it financially, and he had to begin taking odd jobs around the city in between shows. Uh, In the E! True Hollywood story, they talk about... One of, the, one of the jobs he had was cleaning AC vents because he could get into them, <laughs> which, like, oh my God. which also like <laughs> is kind of fucked up because I imagine him like showing up like with the gear and he's like, yeah, I'm going to clean your AC vents. They're like, all right, you need like a boost. He's like, oh, no, you don't go in there. He's like, well, I mean, could you like I mean, you know, you, like you could <laughs> like I, <laughs> I feel like they would just
1: like make him do all the work.
0: Right, like yeah, get, get in there, right? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And apparently he would come out, like, he would crawl through an entire building's AC system and come out the other side just covered in soot, and all you could see were the whites of his eyes. <laughs> like, and he was just Holy like, like fuck this. Yeah, like, was the whole fucking deal. Now, our boy's luck turned around, however, and he soon was being cast in several plays, both on and off Broadway. But before his stage career really got going, he got divorced from his wife, Anne, after a particularly nasty trip to Paris in 1970. Now, that's how it was described in all these articles. It's like after a a terrible trip or after a troublesome trip, like, I don't know what the fuck happened in Paris, but something went down. And uh, I think I, I mean, I think he was just not faithful
1: at any point during the marriage and just...
0: Yeah. He He also might have gone back to to Paris from New York and like you know when he left he was like on top of like this fucking like art scene there and then then he was the guy he's the guy that got out and went to New York and like was doing plays and then he comes back and everyone's just like oh Herve and like I'm sure his wife was like, Oh, so you've just been banging chicks like everywhere you've ever lived, like a ton of them. Like is is like what's happening here. But regardless, they get divorced. And that's in 1970. Now a free man, Hervé took any gig he could, traveling the country and making a name for himself both on stage and off. And Hervé's transition from theater to a film career really began after his divorce. However, his first experience in film came after a chance encounter with film director Conrad Rooks, who hired Hervé to appear in his 1966 film Chappaqua or Chapacua, I think it's Chappaqua, which also featured beatnik legends like Allen Ginsberg and William S. Burroughs. After the release of Chappaqua, offers started rolling in for Hervey. While the roles were always centered around his dwarfism, Hervey made the decision to pursue an acting career full-time. He kept busy over the next few years with films such as Maidstone, Item 72D, The Adventures of Spa and Fawn, The Gang That Couldn't Shoot Straight, which co-starred Robert De Niro. The last yeah, that stop. was like a yeah, that's crazy, early
1: early de niro movie i haven't seen it um, I mean,
0: it's got Hervey. so like you know you got bobby de niro herve villachez say no more give me two tickets
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think that i think that de niro turned down the uh, the role of michael corleone in the godfather to do the the gang that couldn't shoot straight. I'm
0: going to do this movie so the, with this French dwarf, Herve. Um, that sounds... <laughs> like
1: the seems best. like could have been the end of his big mistake. He ends up obviously getting a huge role in Godfather 2.
0: Yeah. So he's alright. He's fine. Yeah. He was also in... Uh, you know, Hervey was also in a movie called The Last Stop, uh, Greaser's Palace, Malatesta's Carnival of Blood, Crazy Joe, and Seizure, which is actually Oliver Stone's first film. And Hervé's role in Seizure led to his arrest. Allegedly, he had a girl with him on set, and his co-star, Troy Donahue, said something rude to her, most likely about her relationship with Hervé. Like, I mean, insert little person joke there, you know? Yeah. And now, he's her, like, I got a fucking knife. Yeah, I got a fucking little knife in my in my I little pocket. I- you know, my tiny pants. But <laughs> anyways, Herve never being one to take anyone's shit thanks to the rough and tumble streets of Paris where he had to learn to defend himself, he went to Donahue's home and challenged him to a fist fight, which is fucking awesome. He's like banging on the door and apparently Troy Donahue was like, I'm not going out there. Are you fucking crazy? It's all fun and games yeah. until the dwarf is at your door fucking challenging you to fucking combat. You know? He Yeah. Um, he also got asked...
1: To apparently to play in the Alejandro Jodorowsky film Dune, the famous movie that never got made, I could totally. I mean, this is kind of. I'm sure if you haven't, there's a great. There's a great documentary about this movie that never got made and how it kind of had this huge impact on Hollywood and on Star Wars in particular because it introduced a ton of artists into Star Wars or into into Hollywood. notably H.R. Geiger, who worked on Alien. Uh, yeah. But I could totally see Hervé being like a perfect fit for this movie that was never made.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we all know Alejandro Dordowski enjoys his little people. Uh, and if you don't have any uh, hands or feet, even better. He, he, he double loves you <laughs> for yeah. that. Check out uh, Holy Mountain or uh, El Topo. and uh, right, right. Yeah, You can thank me later. But I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with that stuff. Now, the police were called. Troy Donahue called the cops, and Hervé was taken to jail. His other co-star, Mary Warnoff, went to the jail to bail him out, and when she got there, she found him sitting on a desk, holding court with all of the officers, telling tales of his exploits. Like, oh, and Patty's, you know, one girl here, one girl's doing this to me, the other one's doing this. You know, and like, the the cops are just like, this is fucking crazy. Like, what the fuck is going on with it? We just picked up this guy. Yeah, it's so crazy. Um, Also, we're in the Noting he appeared as a model in National Lampoon magazine, um, I, I, I can't imagine that there was, that that was like a non little person joke issue, but. Anyways, it was this initial rush of film jobs that allowed Hervé to indulge in all of the pleasures 1970s Hollywood had to offer. Hervé was a regular at all of the posh nightclubs and would often pick up the tab at the most lavish restaurants. The problem was, the films he was doing didn't pay very much, so he had to constantly work to support his habits. It's like what we discussed earlier. It's like this thing where everything's going really good with him, and the better it's going for him... Uh, like career wise, the worst it's going to get in his personal life. Cause the two never balance out. It's like, well, I'm in Hollywood. I just did like fucking 10 movies. So I should be going to all these places. It's like, yeah, but you're like the typecast dwarf that's getting paid fucking peanuts for this. But because you're in films with like stars you know, you feel like you, it's like what happens with um, young athletes. I was watching a 30 for 30 about this, where, you know, not everyone that gets signed to the NBA gets these multi million dollar deals. But because of the competitive nature in sports, like when they all go out to a club or something and the guy with the multi million dollar deal is fucking dropping all this money, the tendency is for everyone else to want to compete with that. But Being they're not the making the same money. And so they end up going fucking broke you know there's a right, lot of people right. on the sports team and they're yeah they're not all getting that that money um and you know just as the well started to dry up in his career both financially i mean he he's now not getting cast it's the, they're getting fewer and you know more far in between and his money's drying up because of his lifestyle he was offered the role that would change his life forever and that is where we're going to continue on the next episode of culture dumps When we will conclude the saga of Hervé Villaches. So make sure you tune in for that. Um, Again, we just wanted to uh, also... (laughs) Actually, I got a good story for the next part of this. I don't want to spoil it yet. But it has to do with um, our co-host that we had on the Thomas Kincaid episode. Her... Uh, Kaylin, her mother, had a personal run-in with Villachez, but that's for part two. So tune in for that. Make sure you sign up for our Patreon for all the bonus content you can handle at patreon.com slash culturedumps. Follow us on Instagram at culturedumps, and send us suggestions at culturedumps at gmail.com. I'm Ryan Licton. I've been joined by Parks Miller. Until next week, keep on dumping.